I'm Mr. BITL, your host of Everyday BITL Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Before It's Too Late. Today, my guest is Christopher, a friend I knew from NUSPS back in 2012 when we were both university students and very passionate about photography. We still are very passionate about photography today and actually I'm right here at Talbot Hill Bunkers, somewhere in the north and recording this intro section. A little bit about Christopher, I find fascinating because he does a lot of interesting things and most notably, he left his full-time job and went solo in Japan to teach English and ended up staying in Japan for three years and now he's back in Singapore building his own startup. Hey Chris, it's really great to have you as my very first guest on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, hey, it's nice to be here, man. Finally. Alright, let's get the party started. I mean, going alone to teach English in Japan sounds like a scary and massive decision. What made you decide to go ahead with it at a point? Uh, so, at that point in time, I was, I had just left my job in civil service. I was a bit disillusioned with life at that time. So, because there are quite a few things happened in 2016, I shall not go into details, but... So, at that point in time, I was thinking of several options with working in another in the private sector as one, and the other one was to explore my options overseas. So, I took the so-called riskier option, which is to go overseas, and uh, yeah, that in the end, I, I'm, I'm glad I went on that decision. So you end up staying like about three years in Japan. Was there ever part of a plan to stay for so long? Yeah, actually, to be honest, uh, the visa is for three years, yes. But to be honest, initially, the plan was only to try things out for one year and to come back after one year, no matter what. Uh, so as things panned out, I didn't stay only for one year. I mean, a lot of things happened. Notably, I managed to expand beyond the original job. Plus, I managed to get a girlfriend there, luckily. And uh, yeah, I stayed for three years. I'm curious that you spent three years there. What, in your experience, what's the difference between the Singaporean and Japanese culture? Oh, okay. So the culture is, I guess, more to do with um, being more civic-minded over there. And, th- okay, that's for daily life, yeah? People are generally more civic-minded. So you don't, they don't really need cleaners because everybody will clean up after themselves. To be honest, even outside their houses, along the public roads, people volunteer voluntarily go out to sweep and clean the areas outside their house, which is public area. Nobody is paying them for it. It's just civic mindedness on the Japanese part. And that's for general life. Then for work, you will realize that the Japanese are indeed very service oriented. So that's something you will really enjoy as a customer or as a tourist because they treat, basically treat you like a king. Okay, so that, that's the difference about that. In Japan and Singapore. In Singapore, you know, right? Uh, People have to be forced to return their trays, for example. Yeah, definitely. I think, do you think we will ever reach that level of Japanese civic mindedness in Singapore? Wow. (laughs) It will take at least another maybe 10 years. I remember a long time ago when people used, they didn't used to queue for MRT stations okay uh, as in when you want to go into an MRT there was a period of time long ago nobody queued to go in people were just like you know trying to rush in nowadays you see that people generally queue up right nobody has to force them to do it so there was some fundamental change which happened somewhere and we need to reach this stage somehow <laughs> I don't know how but somehow we have to reach this stage 
sounds hopeful. I think definitely, uh, I hope that in Singapore we do reach a higher level of saving minusness as well. And I'm sure slowly we will be able to reach there. So let's move on. And if, I mean, if you, is there anything, you spent three years in Japan and that's quite a long time. Is there anything that you regret not being able to do during your time in Japan? Wow, okay. So my regret would be that I didn't, Okay, I wouldn't say master, but I didn't get my Japanese level to as high as I would like it to be because I think I was too complacent back then. So what happened in the first year was I couldn't speak at all when I went there and I managed to be able, I could speak by the end of my entire Japan stint. So some people would find that, hey, that's okay, I guess. But for myself, because I like to, <laughs> I tend to compare myself with people who are better than me. So I do have some friends who were able to master, I won't say master, but get to a pretty decent level. They were able to get to N1 or N2 within two years. So as you may know, the Japanese proficiency test has five to one, right? The levels, five being the lowest, one is the highest. When I left Japan, I was at the lower end of three. So I could converse, just that it wasn't very good. And my friends, they would be basically, uh, they would have basically no issues at all. With, with speaking with uh, normal Japanese. So one major regret would be not spending more time learning Japanese, even though I'm already over there. So I guess you do have plans to, to continue learning Japanese and try to reach the N1 level as your ultimate goal? Uh, maybe not reach N1. I mean, that, I mean, people would say that the higher you aim, you know, the better results you can get, right? But... I'm thinking more of like, is there really a need to get N1? Um, because I'm someone who needs to be motivated by at least one external factor. So if I were to get try to aim for N1, I might I sh- ideally I would want to see that there's a purpose there, rather than it's just being me trying to get it, just to satisfy my personal uh, shall I say desire? Okay, there's no specific if there's no specific goal, then I might not have the motivation to continue. At the very least, though, I would want to go to N2 so that, mm-hmm. you know, just go to the next level and be comfortable with daily conversations. I'm do- trying my best to do it, to, to get that level by practicing every day, basically. This is quite an interesting point that you share about um, trying to achieve a goal and having an external factor because um, from from what I've seen, maybe I've talked to other people and things like that, sometimes the goal itself is in achieving that, that target, you know, if you can achieve that without any... That itself is that something that they want to challenge themselves. Like, um, of course, for myself, my goal in learning Japanese is also not um, trying to reach M1 level. I, my goal is just trying to be, be able to speak with Japanese people and feel like they will feel like I'm kind of like fluent and that's good enough for me. But that's very interesting. It's something for our listeners to think about as well. You know, if you have a goal and then you're trying to reach something, do you need an external factor to push you forward or you know maybe just a, a goal to anchor you forward and then you have to just keep um, pushing towards because as all we know every goal that we set is pretty difficult to achieve right mm-hmm. and we have to do a lot of like work behind the scenes um, preparing learning and in order to be able to reach that goal so I mean so in that sense what advice will you give uh, for those who are thinking of living and working in Japan as well? Uh, okay, <laughs> I actually made a blog post about this, but uh, I'm not going to you know, talk about my own blog post. But um, Okay, some of the things you have to take note when you go to Japan. 
number one, um, as a foreigner, you will realize that it will be hard to fit in at first. So most of the time, you will find that your friends will generally be other foreigners, and especially your own countrymen or countrywomen. Okay, so in the end, some of my closest friends they were actually just either foreigners or Singaporeans, fellow Singaporeans over in Japan. The only Japanese friend who's close, I would say, would be my girlfriend, basically. So that that would be one thing that you have to take note. Don't expect friendships to come easily when you are overseas. I guess as anywhere, not just Japan. But more so for Japan in the sense that you there is that language barrier to overcome, right? If you cannot even speak fluently, some of them don't expect them to speak English to you or, or well whatever mother tongue you have. Don't expect them to speak that back to you, okay? Because uh, you are in their country, not not yours. So yeah, that 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 would be something that you have to take note. Friendship. Yeah, I, I think that's something to think about. Um, as a foreigner, I guess you're going to be. It's going to, be, it's going to be tough being in a foreign country and then you have to kind of like work your way up in terms of trying to get to know other locals. I think there's something for the viewers to think about, you know, if you are planning to move overseas as well. So, Chris, I mean, like, you've been back in Singapore for a few months now. What's something that you miss about Japan? <laughs> a lot, man. A lot of things I miss in about Japan. So, the, the main thing was, uh, I guess, actually, some... Of my Japanese uh, counterparts, as in, I, because I'm, I'm doing this language practice thing, so I, I actually speak to native speakers, as in Japanese people, and they sometimes ask me, like, what do I miss about Japan? And, and what's the difference between Japan and Singapore? So I tell them that both are equally nice to stay in. I have no problem living in Singapore, no problem. I mean, it's my home country after all. Just that Japan has this feel, I, I don't have a very good way to explain it. The, the atmosphere of Japan is a bit different. Uh, I'm not a weeb or anything, <laughs> okay? I'm not like this this obs- obsessed lover of Japan. Uh, I'm not, but from an objective point of view, I would say definitely the ability to travel and enjoy the countryside is very different, uh, at least between Singapore and Japan, because as you know, Singapore, there's not much of a countryside to speak of, and our whole country is uh, only about the size of Tokyo, one city. So that is something that we cannot have in Singapore, the ability to, ability to travel within our country, right? So I can take, a, for example, I can take a trip to Hokkaido. I, I, I live, I was living in Tokyo. I could have taken a trip to Hokkaido. I could have gone to other cities like Fukuoka just for a short vacation and just to experience another facet of life within Japan, right? You can't really do that in Singapore unless you count, you know, going to the farming area of Singapore and, and staying there. It's not the same, I think. Mm, so that, that's that's one big difference. It's interesting to, to hear. I think, yeah, definitely it's in Singapore it would be challenging. I mean, we could try to explore some more um, forested area, but, you know, these are limited and a lot of places in Singapore. I think it's also starting to be demolished, to be cornered off, out of bounds. And uh, I think there's something that we've been trying to explore as well, um, which I really enjoy in our own personal time to go explore various places in Singapore. So I guess if you could go back in time to give some advice to your fresh in Japan self, you know, after all the sharing, what would it be? I would say learn more Japanese, number one. Learn more Japanese. There will be no regrets for sure. Be, be-, be better at Japanese, number one. Number two, get more context. I realized that I was too complacent and comfortable within my own sphere. So basically, I was able to branch out and get a few income sources. 
uh, English teaching, corporate training, uh, freelance corporate training, and photography. I was a free, I was a partner photographer with a kimono company. But I mean, having said that, I did branch out, yes, but I could have tried to get more contacts, especially within the business world, so that I would say that would pave the path to go back and make it smoother, make it easier for me to go back. Because now, if I want to go back, it's not as straightforward anymore, especially the visa issue. So having a greater network and, you know, it kind of synergizes with the Japanese thing. If your Japanese is better, you can communicate better with people. So yeah, these are the two things. I think it's a very strong point uh, that you brought up about networks. And definitely, I think it applies to everywhere. I think even in Singapore and um, for all our viewers out there, it's also something I believe in. Um, you know, there's a very common phrase, your network is your net worth, right? The more people that you get to know and interact with. And it's just the connection and different people that you meet. And who knows, you know, different things that you do, um, different interests can bring you together and lead to new opportunities. And also in, in that sense, this podcast, um, Everyday BITR podcast that I'm trying to do is also a way for me to grow my network, to meet other interesting people. If I have guests, other guests, I reach out to people and they come on my podcast and then we, we try to just chat, casually talk about life, talk about things. And who knows, you know, and then maybe we will get to work on some other projects in future and things like that. So Chris, I guess um, to sum it up, what will you do before it's too late? Okay, the thing that I didn't get to do in Japan before I came back was basically go on a road trip or some trip it doesn't have to be a road trip uh, some trip across the entire Japan which means it's okay there was a YouTube series called Journey Across Japan so I wanted to do I was kind of inspired by that YouTube series alright uh, those of you are, he, I'm not affiliated with the guy but he, he's called Chris Broad <laughs> another Chris okay and he, he basically cycled across Japan on his first try Okay, so I want I wasn't going to cycle, but I was thinking of either using a the the cheap train ticket or take right, buying a cheap scooter and driving uh, riding across Japan like that. So that was what I wanted to do before I came back, and I couldn't do it because of the COVID situation. So yep, before it's too late, I definitely want to do that. I hope you'll be able to do that, and I look forward to seeing when you do that, and then sharing all the amazing photos of that journey. Thanks, Chris, so much for sharing. I think um, we're going to conclude for today. Um, how can our listeners find you if they want to reach out to you or follow your work? Oh, so um, I'm on Instagram. So my Instagram name is uh, Dainslave, D-A-I-N-S-L-A-I-F. Uh, either that or you can go to Facebook. You can go to my, my company, so-called company page, uh, Crime, S-G, which is C-H-R-Y-Y-M-E. C-H-R-Y-M-E Okay, Crime S-G Alright, I, I will drop the uh, the links to Chris' uh, social media Facebook and Instagram in this episode description below so if you want to check it out make sure you get it correct just check out the I'll leave it somewhere in the episode description after this So alright, that's all for today and I have no idea um, what who the next guest will be but I'm definitely planning to get more guests on this podcast so stay safe and stay tuned for the next episode Thanks Chris, it's a wrap